It's not that you talk with your leader, but whether or not you supply a certain kind of facts that makes all the difference. Welcome to On My Walk, the reading podcast that helps you capture reading's aha moments and apply them to your life and leadership. You've heard the oath, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So goes. And I'm thinking that should be the oath every subordinate owes his or her leader. You know, near the end of 1915, Winston Churchill was serving as a part of the Grenadier Guards on the Western Front. You may be asking, well, why was he there? Because Churchill, who had been the first Lord of the Admiralty, equivalent to our Secretary of the Navy, was blamed for a catastrophic military failure at the Dardanelles. Under pressure, he resigned his position in the cabinet, and ultimately he joined the British Expeditionary Force, the British Army sent to the Western Front. Now, Churchill did this a little bit to try to redeem himself in the eyes of the public, but it was a great portion of his life. Churchill, being Churchill, pined for a command, and it looked like he would get one. Sir John French was ready to give him charge of the 56th Brigade in the 19th Division. Now, that's 2,800 soldiers. However, on the 15th of December, the Prime Minister, nursing a grudge perhaps, replaced French with General Sir Douglas Haig, who on the Prime Minister's orders rescinded Churchill's appointment. Despite being passed over, Churchill visited General Haig on New Year's Eve, and this meeting and others put Churchill very close to Haig's intelligence chief, Brigadier General John Charteris. Now listen to Andrew Roberts as he gives us Churchill's perspective on Charteris in particular, but more importantly, on leadership in general. Listen to this. On New Year's Eve, Churchill visited Haig at his headquarters, as he was to do several times during the war. They always got on perfectly well face to face, whatever they might write or say about each other over the years in private. On one occasion, Haig thanked Churchill for a memorandum which he said he would read with great interest, but upon which he had already written, What rubbish! Churchill was unimpressed by the way Brigadier John Charteris, Haig's intelligence chief, emphasized evidence to support Haig's preconceived theories. The temptation to tell a chief in a great position the things he most likes to hear is one of the commonest explanations of mistaken policy, he later wrote in The World Crisis. The outlook of the leader on whose decisions fateful events depend is usually far more sanguine than the brutal facts admit. The temptation to tell a chief in a great position the things he most likes to hear is one of the commonest explanations of mistaken policy. And unfortunately for General Sir Douglas Haig, at least from Churchill's perspective, Haig's intelligence chief was unwilling to tell the emperor he had no clothes. He failed to supply his superior with the brutal facts. And that same failure to supply the brutal facts was actually part of the charge the Dardanelles Commission laid at the feet of the War Council that planned it, and that included Churchill and the Prime Minister, Asquith, who really didn't like him. Listen to what the Dardanelles Commission said. Mr. Churchill thought that he was correctly representing the collective views of the Admiralty experts, 
But without in any way wishing to impugn his good faith, it seems clear that he was carried away by his sanguine temperament. Now, as an aside, a sanguine temperament is one in which uh, it's optimistic or positive, especially in apparently bad or difficult situations. And it continues, and his firm belief in the success of the undertaking which he advocated. The Dardanelles Commission continues, Mr. Churchill had obtained their support to a less extent than he himself imagined. Other members of the council, and more especially the chairman, who was the Prime Minister Asquith, should have encouraged the experts to give their opinion and indeed should have insisted upon their doing so. Now, commenting on all this, Andrew Roberts writes, a collective groupthink permeated the meeting of 13 January, encouraging optimism and discouraging incisive questioning. And then picking up on the words of the Dardanelles Commission again, here's what they say. The views entertained by Mr. Churchill at the time as to the prospect of success of a purely naval operation were somewhat more optimistic than was warranted by the opinion of the experts. Under these circumstances, the experts should have spoken up, but they did not. So what are we to make out of all this? Well, team members owe their team leaders the brutal facts. Subordinates owe their leaders the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You know, we're all in authority, under authority, so let me tell you how I'm applying this, telling the brutal facts in both. In my in-authority role as the president of LBC Capital, I'm giving this recording to my cabinet and others with the charge, tell me what I am not seeing. Tell me what I don't want to hear. Now, obviously, saying this once is not enough. I have to ask for it again and again. I need to welcome it. I need to create the environment where the team is willing to share it. But in my role in authority, I need to seek out the brutal facts. In my under authority role as a president responsible to the board of trustees, I'm going to make sure my board report includes the brutal facts. And these days, with higher education reeling from a world pandemic, there are some tough words to share. A lot of good, but definitely a lot of tough words. Share the brutal facts. Tell your leader what he may not want to hear. And that's my thought on my walk with Winston Churchill, Andrew Roberts, and his fine biography, Walking with Destiny. Now, my question is, what will you do with that thought, on your walk through life today, when you're in authority and when you're under authority, will you tell the brutal facts?